Well, is anybody thankful to be in the house of God today? We're so thankful you're joining us at every location, and I'm telling you, God has such a word for you today. And I never take it lightly, the opportunity to stand here and preach his word. Today, we start a brand new series called Freedom. Everybody say freedom. freedom. Come on, say freedom. freedom. Today, we start a brand new series on freedom, and we're going to be Primarily in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. I'm actually going to start reading in Deuteronomy 30, but for the major part of, of this sermon, we're going to be in Genesis 2 and 3. You can take your Bibles and be turning there. There's nothing like the Word of God. <laughs> I said there's nothing like the Word of God. Amen. And everything we preach and everything we teach is not uh, just the cleverness of man. It comes from the truth of the Word. And is a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. While you're turning there, uh, I want to share some exciting news with you. I cannot tell you the honor that it is to get to do life here. And to get to uh, raise our family here over these last few years. Uh, specifically, since Claire and I have got married, we've been right here at the Hampton campus. And it is such a joy to do life with you. And uh, we're excited. We have a 17-month-old named Olive. And she is amazing. She is daddy's little girl. I'm telling you, she is it. And uh, we're excited to announce today that we're going to have another baby in October. <laughs> you say, Daniel, you must really love kids. And I'm telling you, I do. Olive is so great, I would be completely satisfied with just her. I mean it. I mean, she's as good as they come. It's not really that I love kids so much. It's that I love my wife so much, you know? And uh, we keep getting pregnant. So that's how this goes. <laughs> I love you, baby. I'm so excited. So excited uh, to have it. I'm telling you, she is the best wife, the best mom, and God knew what he was doing. I had to wait a little longer than expected for her, but you were worth the wait, and I'm very thankful for you. Okay. Now that we're going to have two children, I want to preach on freedom. I'm kidding. We're starting a brand new series on freedom. You know, it's something all of us are in search of, whether we admit it or not, whether we say it. Verbally or not, all of us are internally in search of freedom, freedom in our lives, freedom in our spirits, freedom in our minds, all of us on this journey in life to freedom. And all of us, whether we admit it or not, have bondage, have things that are holding us back. It could be decisions that we've made, sin in our own personal lives. It could be physical, mental bondage. It could be bondage from decisions other people have made, things other people have done to you. You know, it could even be spiritual bondage in your life this morning. And you don't even know it. You aren't even aware that, that this morning as you got up, there was a real enemy who was attempting to destroy your life. There was a real Savior who was attempting to reach out to you. 
spiritual bondage. All of us have bondage that we put on ourselves, bondage from others and decisions they've made and spiritual bondage in our lives. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at those three angles uniquely and talk through them from different passages of Scripture. But today, there is a foundational thought, and that is that your freedom and my freedom comes down to a personal choice. A personal choice, a decision. I've named uh, the title of this sermon, The Choice. The Choice. I want you to see it in Scripture together. Before I get to Genesis 2, I want you to see Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. (laughs) I'm going to pause. Some of you didn't know what you were waking up to this morning. And it is by no accident that you're in this place, by no accident that you're joining us online, by no accident that you're hearing this message right now, wherever you are. And I believe God has something so specifically for you to, you know, you can leave changed. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose, everybody say it. Life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word, that it never returns void. That it rightfully divides truth. That it pierces our hearts. That it makes us into your image. God, we thank you for your word. And we ask just as you originally inspired it. That today you would open our eyes to see it. We want to see the truth. I pray that my teaching and my preaching would not rest in the clever or cunning words of men. But in power and demonstration of the spirit of God. So that our faith might rest in your spirit. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, In order to see this passage and this choice clearly, I want to take you to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. The origin story of the creation of man and the original intent of God. But before we even get there, you have to see that the choice is very simple and very clear. It's life and death. Life. And death. The passage actually gives another uh, comparison, blessing and curse. Life and death, blessing and curse. All throughout this message, I want to preach it differently. I don't want to just give you point one, point two, point three today and, and send you home with a, with a poem and a prayer. I really want to, want to give you something that as I was reading it and as I was studying it, just the form of it came together in my mind and in my heart. And all throughout the message, I'm going to take you back to a choice Comparing and contrasting two words. And here in this passage, you see life or death. You see blessing or cursing. Maybe uh, even as you take notes, you just want to divide your page. And as we go down, you take notes about life and and notes about death. You you make uh, notes about the choice between two things. And so all throughout these passages, I'm going to stop and give you a side-by-side comparison of two contrasting words and the choice that all of us 
ultimately have to make. I want you to see it in Genesis chapter 2. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground. And a mist, a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. There is so much in this passage I want to teach that I cannot teach today. And there is specifically something in these verses that God so stopped me with and so paused me with that I could not get past it. And that's that there is uh, certain words that point to the presence of the Spirit at work in this passage. Uh, I believe the rain and the mist and the breath are all active pictures of the work of the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, freedom in your life and my life is not possible apart from the Spirit of the living God. Uh, I can show you this and validate it from Scripture, but Genesis chapter 1, just one chapter before this, in verse 2, it says, The Spirit was hovering over the waters, so we know He was present. But these specific things are pictures of the Spirit all throughout Scripture. I don't even have time. John chapter 7 uh, is, All who believe rivers of living water will flow from within them. Well, we know that all who believe receive the Spirit of God. Uh, Psalm chapter 72 prophesied that the Spirit would come like rain and like showers upon the earth. Hosea 6 and 10 say that he is the former and latter rains or the rains of righteousness. Uh, in fact, in the Old Testament, the word used for Spirit in the Hebrew literally means the rushing wind. And in the New Testament, in, in the Greek, uh, the Spirit means the breath of life or a current of air. That's literally what it means in, in the Greek. And so in these verses, you just have to know that the Spirit is at work. And it's important because there is no life. There is no freedom apart from the Spirit of the living God. Uh, here's one of my favorite verses about it. John chapter 6, verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. And the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, to you are spirit and life. So I want you to see that uh, connection because it can be no other way. And I say all that to say, come back next week. Because next week's sermon is about how our uh, uh, choice as men and our work as people partner with the spirit of God. But next week is all about the spirit of God. And how he produces freedom in our lives. For, for this week's sake, you just need to know that freedom is not possible in and of our flesh. Uh, freedom in our lives does, though, begin with a choice. It begins by setting our lives in a direction where we can experience the work of the Spirit. And I want to tell you, you have to know that the how is as important or more important than the what. Let me say that again. The how of what you do is as important or more important than the what. How you do what you do matters. And we know that in life. Have y'all ever cooked an egg? You, I'm the only one in this whole place who's ever cooked an egg. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm a better preacher when you preach back. 
And I want this to be a conversation, so you're going to have to help me. Anybody ever, ever uh, cooked an egg? There we are. And you can throw an egg on there, but how you cook it gives you different results. Well, certainly, uh, a fried egg is different than a scrambled egg. A sunny side up uh, is different than a uh, boiled egg, bold egg. I'm real country, so I, I struggle with the word bold and oil, oil, oil. I don't know if that's two syllables or one. It's beside the point. What I'm saying is how you do what you do matters. So you can throw an egg on the, on the skillet. You can throw it on the stove, but how you cook it depends on the end result. Now, I said that because I want you to understand that a lot of you have been exposed to the same activity in church. Read your Bible, show up, pray. But how you do what you do matters with the end result. You can do the same thing a different way and get a different result. And some of y'all chose to walk away from the church or walk away from Christianity or walk away from Jesus because you did the right activities the wrong way. Your approach to God matters. How you do what you do makes all the difference. And the same activity with a different approach can land you with different results. I'm talking it's the difference in freedom and bondage. The difference in life and death. Your approach matters. Let's continue in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so you, you see, even from the very beginning, God was creating an environment where people could thrive in relationship with him. God wanted them uh, to thrive in daily relationship with him. And he created the perfect environment for them to do that in. But then something happens. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of, you say this word, Every, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. A choice between life and death. And here God gives us the choice with the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I almost called this sermon a tale of two trees. Because I think really beautifully, almost poetically, all of our uh, choice in life between life and death is seen in the reality of these two trees and our approach to both of these trees. Uh, it seems at first glance like a really simple choice. Like, who would choose death over life? No one. But in all reality, it's a very complicated decision and a very difficult one to make. Mainly because you and I are so easily deceived. God places them in this life-giving environment and puts confines 
over how they'll relate to that environment and to him. I want you to know that the most beautiful thing about this garden was not the garden itself. It was the presence of God. The most beautiful thing about the garden, about this paradise, was not the garden itself. It was the presence of God. And God put confines on how they interacted with the garden and how they interacted with him so that they could experience relationship with him in the fullness that he intended it. You know, you see this choice between life-giving environments and the weight of morality, good and evil, the knowledge of it, all throughout life. Maybe uh, the easiest to see it is in parenting. In so many of my conversations and in so many of the parenting uh, seminars or classes that I've been to, books that I've read, so much of the conversation centers around obedience. And uh, perhaps rightfully so, because every parent wants their child to obey. But I don't think obedience is the goal. Stick with me for a second. Uh, when I was young, I was probably eight, maybe nine years old, uh, I have a twin brother, Zach, and Zachary and I were both home and younger, and Taylor and Lindsay were both a little bit older. We're talking like middle school to early teenage years, maybe like 14, 15 years old. And mom and dad uh, were running down to the store for a few minutes. We're talking stepping out and coming back. And they thought, the older kids can handle it, so we'll put Taylor in charge. He's the oldest, and he can look after Zachary and Daniel. Lindsay will help him. It'll be fine. We're going to run to the store and come right back. And so they left. And uh, Zachary has always been a little bit more rebellious than, than me. Um, I am a great child. <laughs> and you can ask anybody, but particularly me. And... No, Zachary, for whatever reason that day, was not listening to Taylor, and I was probably unbothered somewhere. I, I could play by myself. I could uh, go make something or create something or go run around the yard, and I was unbothered. So I don't know where I was or what I was doing, but Zachary was not minding Taylor. And Taylor, you know, 14 years old, is really laying down the law in these 10 minutes that he's in charge. And uh, Zachary's doing whatever he wants to do. And so Taylor realized, i got to get him to obey me because I'm, I'm the authority around here. And so Taylor just went and got duct tape and set Zachary down and duct taped him to the chair. As you can imagine, when Pastor Grant and Miss Tammy got home, um, there was a lot of conversation to be had of why Zachary was duct taped to a chair. You know what? He obeyed. Listen, parents, duct tape and... No, I'm kidding. So I would, I would say obedience is not the goal. You know, there are ways you can get to your children to obey, but actually it hardens their hearts. Uh, there are methods. I'm not, I'm not here to talk about... Listen, I have a 17-month-old, okay? I'm not here to teach you how to parent. I, I, I'm serious about this, though. You can see the results in children with the different way that people parent. And you actually could get obedience with some methods, but that isn't the real goal. The goal is children who have a heart to do what is right, who actually want to do what is right. And so it's not just like, you do it, I told you so, or I'm going to duct tape you to a chair. That's child abuse. It's <laughs> teaching that even deeper than obedience, even more than rules, relationship matters. Uh, life or death. Maybe it's relationship or rules. 
It's not that rules don't matter at all. It's that relationship matters more. Uh, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And what he does is he sets right all of the rules so that all of us who can't get it right can access God through him. But, but it's not about rules simply. It's about relationship. And I want you to see from the very beginning, God was creating an environment where they thrived in relationship with him. And so you can focus on the one rule all you want. But the relationship is what mattered more. And in fact, if their relationship was in the right place, the rule wouldn't have been so hard or tempting to break. It's a choice of life and death, the tree of life or the knowledge of good and evil. It's a choice between relationship and rules. And can you imagine if the rest of our life, our pursuit of God was simply rules? How miserable. Because none of us could ever live up to that. The weight of that. I, I want you to continue in Genesis 3. Now the serpent, here comes the enemy, was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say a questioning of the character of God? Did God actually say you shall not eat of any, you see the distortion, tree in the garden? And the woman said, she corrects him, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And neither shall you touch it. Now, I just want you to know. She gets the rule right at first, but there's a seed of doubt because God never said you couldn't touch it. And he never said you couldn't eat of the tree in the midst because you know what else is in the midst? The tree of life. So she almost gets it right, but you can already tell he's made her start questioning things. And really what she's questioning is not the command itself. She's questioning the character of God. That's how we approach God as well so often. And so then this serpent says... Uh, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Interesting. Knowing good and evil. That's the title of the tree. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. I want you to immediately see that the enemy begins to turn her understanding of truth into lies. Uh, the enemy begins to work actually against her and distort her reality of truth. Question the character of God. Did God actually say? And the enemy always attacks us by putting lies in our minds and hearts. Did you know the enemy cannot make you do anything? So what he must do is have you believe a lie so that you make the wrong choice yourself. Uh, immediately, Eve begins to say things that are not true. He said we can't eat of the trees in the midst. Not true. He said we can't even touch it. Not true. And I believe that there's this seed of doubt that God's character is called into question. He's withholding something from me. He doesn't want me to have something. And many of us still approach obedience to God, obedience to the word of the truth in this way. We actually believe that God is trying to keep something from us, that he is withholding something good from us. And, and the enemy distorts our view of God so that we actually put 
the reality of who the enemy is onto God. I, I want you to see this, John 10.10. 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And yet I hear people talk about God like this. Oh, he's keeping stuff from me. Oh, I'd have so much more fun. I've had so much more pleasure. I'd really have the life that I wanted if he didn't keep this stuff from me. That's why people leave the church. That's why people walk away. Oh, he's keeping, all these rules are keeping me from what I want. And they view God as the thief. They view God as the liar. They view him as the one that's trying to kill and destroy their life. Listen to secular narrative right now. God is the enemy. And yet we know that's not true from the truth of his word. In fact, this is who Satan is. Satan is the one trying to steal from us. Satan is the one trying to kill and destroy our lives. This is the same verse Jesus goes on to say, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. So why do so many people look like they're miserable? Like, oh, I'm just here trying to obey God. Everybody else on social media is having the time of their life. I'm just here obeying the word. But the, the saints of God, the people of God, the ones obeying God should be more full of life and joy than anybody else. Because we know the satisfaction that comes from him. Around here we say all the time, it's not just church, it's life. It's not just church, it's life. But listen to me. I don't know that we know what that truly means. I'm talking, all, do you, are you really living a fulfilled life? Are you really thriving in the environment that God has for you? Or in your mind, are you questioning, are you keeping something from me? Are you withholding good things from me? Are you questioning the character of God? Because it always leads to sin. Always. I, I love the analogy. I don't know who originally said this or put it in my mind. It was somebody when I was in high school. I tried all week to think of who, who originally said it. But uh, you ever seen a dog that's fenced into a backyard? They spend the entirety of their time trying to dig under or jump over. You ever seen them? I mean, they run the length of that yard on the fence. Spend all of their time digging. I'm going to dig out, I'm going to dig out, I'm going to dig out, I'm going to dig out. Trying to jump over. And they don't realize that that fence wasn't put there to keep them from anything that was good for them. The fence was there to create an environment where they could thrive. You know what's inside of that fence? Food, shelter, provision. Love, that fence is what they need. But they spend all of their life trying to get out from under or up over that fence in order to what? Run in the street? In order to have no food and no provision? In order to have no one watch over them? In order to die under a car? I, I use that analogy on purpose. Because as believers, a lot of us spend all of our time running a fence. And we don't realize what he's given us inside the fence. And we are trying to get out from under the commands of God. Get up over the commands of God. How close can I get to this? I'm not talking to unbelievers. I'm talking to believers. How close can I stand on this fence? How close can I, can I get? To, the world looks like they're having fun. What are you keeping from me? We don't realize everything we've ever wanted or needed is inside the fence. And Eve is completely deceived. Look, Genesis uh, chapter 3 verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, then she wanted some of it. Uh, there's a problem. Did you know I didn't, did something? 
Oh, here it is. Uh, There's a problem because did you know in Genesis 2 verse 9, we just read this, all the trees were what? Good for food and pleasant to look at. There wasn't nothing that tree had that, that she didn't have in every other tree of the garden except the knowledge of good and evil. You know what that is? The weight of morality. Now, I want you to listen to me. That knowledge of good and evil is the weight of morality. And she thinks God's withholding from me the one thing I need. But the truth is, we read it this morning, if you're reading the one in your Bible, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk with him. So he wasn't withholding anything from her except death, except pride, except destruction. And she thought that's the very thing she wanted. Uh, The enemy was right in that uh, if you eat of it, you'll be like God. What he didn't say is you won't have God in you. You won't have God redeeming you and saving you. Oh, no, you'll become your own God. And now we get to where we're at. The weight of being our own God. I I find it so ironic that this tree isn't named the tree of death because ultimately that's what it was. But if Eve saw it as the tree of death, surely she would have never chosen it. Surely Adam would have never eaten it. That's not what she sees it as. She sees it as something that God's withholding from her that she needs and wants. And the third thing that she attributes to the tree is, it's going to make me wise. Well, it did open her eyes to a wisdom that she did not have and to a weight that she was never meant to carry. You know what it was? The knowledge of good and evil. The weight of saving herself. The destruction of being her own God. She got it all. And so did Adam. And the irony is, even today in celebrity culture and Hollywood, at its very core, this choice to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is still so prevalent. Uh, Even in politics, on both sides of the aisles, this mantra of the knowledge of good and evil, morality, is so prevalent. It doesn't matter if we're talking about secular religion or secular society. It is this reality of having to outweigh my good and my bad. It is the weight of having to save ourselves. It is the punishment of being our own God and ultimately being destroyed by it. And yet it's all around us. And even the people of God are tempted by it. It's all about love. It's all about goodness. It's all about humanitarian thought. But don't miss it. It's devoid of Jesus. It's devoid of a relationship with God. It's all based in and of ourselves. And we're sinners. Every one of us have gone our own way. All of us need saving from ourselves. I watched so... uh, I was so interested... In watching what happened with Ellen DeGeneres over the last few years. Because she has been this face of morality and then Hollywood turned on her. And I didn't watch excited by it. Because for a long time I've had such a heart that that God uh, would speak in such a clear way to her. But you can spend your life being the spokesperson for happiness and joy. You could spend your life being the spokesperson for humanitarian aid and we're going to be good people. And then your own people who you were leading turn on you like, wait, you're not that good. And all that happened is she was destroyed by the weight of the 
knowledge of good and evil, the morality that she herself was trying to carry. And that's how it always is. But I, I never want to create an us versus them mentality because there is only us and him. And so it's not like, oh, they need God. No, I need Jesus. I need him as much as any of them. And so I wonder if even if, if in the church, even if here, uh, maybe you don't hide uh, this idea of the knowledge of good and evil behind liberal activism or behind uh, open sin or behind your constructs of morality. But maybe you still have this knowledge of good and evil approach to God hidden in religious activity. Don't miss it. The knowledge of of good and evil is just the heart that says, I'm going to save myself. And did you know you can have that heart even playing church games? The church people and, and secularism alike could be hiding the same heart and the same thing that Eve struggled with. Don't don't miss in this story, she's not satisfied with the fruit. In in fact, immediately shame enters into her life. And you have to know today you're choosing between satisfaction and shame. You're choosing between satisfaction and shame. Look at how the story ends. The eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves Why? They knew they were naked from the presence of the Lord. All of a sudden, something they did not know before, shame, enters into their life. And immediately, they do the only thing they can do. They try to fix it themselves. Look at the Lord's response. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? (laughs) You've got to notice, he's not the one that's hiding. In fact, he's walking where he's always been, day in, day out, in the same place he had always been, in the same environment he had created for them to thrive in. And they're the ones who have run away. Because suddenly, the weight of the morality they now know and the shame that they're now experiencing is overwhelming to them. So they try to hide themselves and they run away from him. But but you can't hide from God. And the beauty is the pursuit of God. Hey, where did you go? And even some of you now have fallen away from God. And some of you have fallen into sin and addiction. Some of you made choices that you're ashamed of. And for some reason, you have this uh, idea about God. That he's mad at you. That he's angry at you. And the truth is, even now God's pursuing you. Hey, where are you? I'm still right here. I'm still loving you. I'm still calling you. I'm still drawing you. Where did you go? And so they said, I heard the sound of you, and I was afraid. So what sin produces. Because I was naked, that shame. I hid myself. And he said, who told you that? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And immediately they hear this voice of condemnation over them. And there are two voices that are very present today. One is the voice of conviction. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit. And one is the voice of condemnation. It's the voice of the enemy. Oh, they sound so similar because they're your voice. 
And yet, God is saying, where are you? Come home. I'm still here. Come back. And the enemy is saying, you can't go back. Do you know what you've done? Condemnation. That's who you are. That's who you'll always be. You can't overcome this. You can't defeat this. You're not getting out from under this. You messed up too much. You went too far. Condemnation. And simultaneously, the voice of the Spirit calls to us, speaks to us, pursues us. I know you messed up. I paid for that. I know it's what you did, but in me, it's not who you are. Come back home. <laughs> Come back home. Even now, two voices in the spiritual realms calling to us, vying for our lives, uh, begging us, bidding us to make a choice. A voice that condemns us, which is the enemy. A voice that calls us, which is the voice of God. And conviction always points out our sin, but never leaves us there. Conviction uh, convicts us of our sin, but it does not leave us to save ourselves. It does not leave us in the misery of what our sin has done. No, conviction draws us back and reminds us of Jesus. What condemnation does is it not only rebukes us, it not only draws attention to our sin, but then it condemns us for life. And that's why Romans says, Romans chapter 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You want to be free? Listen to the voice of God calling you. It doesn't matter what it is doesn't matter what you've done. I'm telling you, he has done everything that's needed to draw you back. Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for He's not in love with some future version of you. He's in love with you. He didn't die for you not knowing what you would do. He died for you because of what you've done and what I've done. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. And so what should we do? What choice should we make in order to experience freedom? Love God. Respond to him. He's pursuing you even now. He wants to know you even now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, that means you, believes in him will not perish. They'll have everlasting life. This is a choice between life and death. This is a choice. How long will you be in bondage? How long will you eat for a tree, uh, from a tree you were never meant to eat from? And yet the tree of life, it calls. You don't need that. You don't need to go back to that sin. You don't have to be stuck in that addiction. You don't have to live your life under the weight of this. Can I ask you a question? Where does shame exist in your life? I, I want you to really think about it. Where does shame exist in your life? That is where he wants to give you freedom today. Listen to me. Where has the enemy gained a foothold? What sin is destroying you? What's hidden from everyone else that's eating you alive? What's bringing death in your life? Where does the shame exist? 
that's where he's going to free you. Right there. Right there. Wherever that place is, you lay your head on the pillow at night and you feel it just eat you alive. That's where he wants to bring freedom. That's where he wants to bring life. That's where the choice must be made. I want you to go back to the uh, original thought. Because we view the gospel so wrong. This choice of uh, life and death is actually a choice between love and legalism. Love and legalism. God loves you. And he's done it all. You don't have to save yourself. And so you can respond to that love. Uh, it, it's the difference between acceptance and performance. Are you going to spend the rest of your life trying to earn something when he's already done it? Because in the end, you'll never be able to earn it. But if you'll realize that as a child of God, you can be fully accepted in him, it frees you from the weight of having to perform. It's delight versus duty. It's delight versus duty. Do you want to be happy? Everyone does. But I'm telling you, you don't have to be crushed under the weight of morality. My good has to outweigh my evil. What I do right has to be better than what I do wrong. You don't, are you kidding me? Stop trying to save yourself and fall in love with Jesus. It's, it's a delight to know him. It's a joy to be in his presence and to sit at his feet. What a delight to know him. This is where we started. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. But watch this. He says everything I just taught. Loving the Lord your God. That's where it starts. Just love him. And then naturally, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. It's the fruit of knowing him and loving him. For he is your life and length of your days. That you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore. God has an obsession with environments for people to thrive. The Garden of Eden, the promised land, the church, the new heaven and new earth. And none of those are about a location. All of those are about his presence. All of those are about his closeness. All of those are about a relationship with him. And so I'm asking you, if you really want to thrive, if you really want to live, do you know him? I want every head to be bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around. It's the most important point in the service. And you undoubtedly have the enemy and the Lord speaking to you in this moment. And all I want you to know is that you can listen to the voice of God and choose him. As many as call to him, he gets the right to be called the children of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And right this moment, wherever you are, if you, you know you're crushed under the weight of morality, you know you cannot save yourself, you know that your sin is eating you alive, it's killing you, right now you can call to him. Say something like this, Jesus, 
I believe in you. And I want to walk with you. I want to know you. Open my eyes to truth. Teach me to live with you. Help me choose life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that, we want to know at every campus, every location. If you're online, there's a red card digitally. In the seat back in front of you, there's a red card. We'd love for you to grab that, fill it out. Better yet, you can turn it in in the offering plates as you leave, but take it to a Next Step Center at every campus. Talk to somebody. Talk to a pastor. Say, today I made the choice. I chose life. I don't want you to check out right here because it's the most important point. It's the most important point. The question is, what are you going to do now that you've heard this? I want everyone to stand at every location. The remainder of our service is not just routine. It's not just something we do. It is your opportunity to respond, and the altar's open. And even as believers, if there's sin and shame in your life, you can turn from it. You can confess it. You can be freed from it. Now is the moment to decide what you'll do with this truth. Let's pray. Jesus, as best as I know how, preach your word. And I'm asking that right now you would take it and you would plant it into our hearts so that it could bring forth fruit in our lives, so that it could grow up into life in us. And God, I pray right now that people would hear the sound of your voice and respond, that they would confess sin, that they would get right with you, that they would come to these altars and spend time responding to you. In Jesus' name we pray.